Hey, party people. Feminist Frequency is turning 11 years old. Can you believe it? Because I certainly can't. But it would be a shame to let such a momentous occasion go by without having a little party. So mark your calendars, folks. This Thursday, May 21st from 5 p.m. to midnight Pacific time. We have loads of guests, games, and giveaways, and you aren't going to want to miss it. Twitch.tv slash Femfreak. I was in Cape Town in December, and I had one of my cab drivers say that he was going to move to America to make money. And I was like, cool, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. You just go to America and make money. And I was like, cool, dude. Like, that, this idea is still so deeply pervasive internationally in a lot of, in a lot of places that it's, it's mind-boggling to me. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media that you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by two women who always make noise during silent meditations. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> See, that, there she goes. Right? Exactly. Every, exactly. T- every time we're in a planned. silent meditation, I did not know that was coming. <laughs> she starts laughing, and then I start laughing. It's just a big mess. And then I sternly stare at both of them and nod my head to be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> you know what? Take your praise tying off. <laughs> that would be Carolyn Pettit and Ebony Adams, ladies and gentlemen. Andy, who else? That's who right. else could it possibly be? Today, we are going to be talking about Little America, a new anthology series focusing on true stories of American immigrants on Apple TV+. Plus. You know, the plus makes it digital. As opposed to a device. All all that analog (laughs) Apple stuff out there. We're living in the future. Well, how is everyone today? Oh, okay. Any, uh, yeah, I, any exciting food plans? Any games? Any? I don't know. I, I'm just. I'll I'll, I'll mention that uh, the, the the highlight, if you will, of my day so far has been that um, Elon Musk, our friend. Oh boy! No. Yeah, <laughs> always a great, always good. You know, start to a story. Elon Musk tweeted, um, "Take the red pill." And then, oh my god! And then Ivanka. No. Uh, is it? Am I getting my Trumps mixed up? Um, Iv- Ivanka Trump quote tweeted that, but and said taken. But then here's the good part. The actual good part is that Lily Wachowski, one of the trans, you know, creators and directors of the Matrix. Um, replied to both of them saying, fuck you both. Um, <laughs> so good. So, so that was, that's, that's pretty good. Like it, that, that made it all worth it. Um, that's fantastic. Will you yeah. link that? <laughs> I want to see that. Yes. Will you link that in the show notes? Absolutely. Oh, what a treat. That was totally mm-hmm. worth bringing up. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Carolyn. You're, you just made this day so much better. I know, right? You're, uh, you're welcome. I feel like I have a new lease on life. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, then this episode is going to cook. It's going to be great. Uh, all right. Let's get into it. Yeah. Or let's actually, do Ebony, I, do you want, do you have anything? I don't know how you can top that, but you can try. I can't. So yeah, let's just keep it moving because <laughs> okay. I'll just embarrass myself. Um, oh, I have a food thing. Yeah. I uh, split a CSA box with a friend and there is a beet in it Ooh. the size of my head. I love beets. What are you going to do with that beet? I am going to make beet hummus. 
Ah, I'm going to see how mm. that tastes. Because y'all, I don't know if y'all know my whole thing about how I am allergic to chickpeas, apparently. And I love hummus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I try to find alternative ways to make it. So fava bean hummus, super good. Oh, yeah. But now I'm like, what the fuck do I do with a beet? Here's the thing about beets. I like a beet, Ebony. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of a beet. I just don't like that much. Like, I don't, I can't, like, those big-ass beet salads, I have to split those with someone. I can't, like... Split those with me, homegirl. I love I would, a beet. Like, give me half that beet. I want to roast the shit out of that thing. The, you know, the in the other, middle of the night when it's not hot anymore. <laughs> I um, I put it in the Instapot for an hour. It took a goddamn hour to make that thing soft. But um, the other thing I want to try, because I have a couple of smaller beets with it, is there is a restaurant in L.A. called Dune, and they have a pickled beet sandwich that is Ooh. fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so, so good. So I'm like, maybe I can learn how to pickle some beets. So that's yes. what I'm going to try. Yes. Uh, one thing that I've been trying to do, because I find um, cooking and being in the kitchen so calming, is um, I've been doing even more cooking than I normally do. And I've been trying to get into like pickling and stuff. And I'm about to get a canning set and start canning the shit out of some summer vegetables. So yeah, let me know how that pickling with the beets goes. I love it. I love fermented foods and pickled shit. And it's mm-hmm. my favorite. Yeah. And it's so good for you. Mm-hmm. So... You know, get those enzymes, y'all. Yeah. Speaking of enzymes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Okay, actually, do you want me to make this a transition that works? So yeah, most I cultures, do. I will. Most cultures around the world uh, have some take on a fermented food that is like a staple in their culture because, his, you know, like our ancestors know that fermented foods are really good for us and help with digestion, right? So like, you also, know, kimchi. refrigeration issues? Yeah, exactly. Or, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Scandinavia, like lack of fucking seasons, yeah. um, <laughs> ability to grow anything. Um, so you've got like sauerkraut and pickles and uh, and kimchi, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. Little America is all about different cultures. And they probably all have some kind of delicious fermented food. Hey. Okay, you know what? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> we got there, but... I'm just saying, I, I, would, I told you I'd bring it home. I didn't say it would be good. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, y'all. With Kumail Nanjani and Emily Gordon among its producers, Little America is a new anthology series of half-hour episodes, each telling another fact-based story about immigrants and children of immigrants. The stories include the tale of a young boy left to run the family motel when his parents are deported. A Nigerian college student in Oklahoma who loves American cowboy culture and a Syrian refugee seeking asylum in the U.S. so that he can live openly as a gay man. The show is currently available on Apple TV Plus and has already been renewed for a second season. Speaking of hummus and food, the opening of the very last episode, that hummus looked fucking bomb. Y'all, that... I I I, did salivate there. That looked good. Okay, so for real, when we were talking about doing the show, um, I was like, look, if y'all can't watch all of them, please at least watch the last one. Partly... The last one is called The Sun. It is the one about the Syrian refugees seeking asylum in the U.S. Um, 
partly because I just wanted to talk about that opening scene because Mm -hmm. it is um, a Syrian family who's all together and all the food is coming out and those shots of the food just, it made me miss my family. Yeah. It made made me hungry for all that food. Like, that's just, that's my shit. That's like the shit I grew up on and it just, it made me so happy to see it. Oh, goodness. It looked so good. There were moments um, throughout this show, including that one, um, that were just so... It, the episodes are short. They're 30 minutes, as you mentioned, but there are occasional moments of such like density and tactility and um, like color. And I'm not conveying it, but in the short amount of time that you get to spend with these characters, occasionally there will just be these luminous moments where you feel completely immersed um, in the like tiny world existing within, you know, the larger world about the American community that they're trying to exist in, or, you know, the home culture that they are leaving behind or attempting to leave behind or whatever. Um, They're just like, each, each episode is written by and directed by a a different person. And yet that is one through line throughout um, all eight episodes that I really enjoyed. Um, so I was, when I was kind of tossing this script together for this episode, uh, before, uh, before we recorded it, and I, I looked it up on Wikipedia and one little fact, factoid that is mentioned on the Wikipedia page is that about that eighth episode, the filming of it, interestingly, is that, uh, because of the, you know, what's widely known as the Muslim ban passed by President Trump, um, that particular episode was um, apparently, and again, this is just from Wikipedia. I didn't do a deep dive to confirm this, but um, but it seems plausible to me that that episode in particular wound up being filmed in Quebec because some of the actors in it could not enter the United States to film the episode here. And I just think that um, it's kind of a fascinating thing to consider in relation to the show because this show mm-hmm. is i mean by and large i'd say it's it's you know it 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 wants to ultimately be kind of heartwarming it wants to be kind of life affirming even though mm-hmm. it, it does deal of course at times with very real hardships and struggles and everything um but you know i think it wants you to feel a kind of ultimately a sense of like um uh, that America is a place where people, wherever they may come from, can sort of succeed and everything. And it's just like, you know, and I don't want every story about immigrants to the United States to be one of, of uh, that, that, that's, you know, that's defined by like extreme confrontation with like racism and, and mm-hmm. systemic oppression and all of that. Like, I understand that we need stories that, that aren't just that. And yet, um, you know, I, I, there are, are ways in which I think this series um, doesn't always uh, 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 confront those things I- enough. I, I guess, you know, in one specific example, or I think for me the most kind of revealing example, or the one that, that at least got me the most worked up personally, was in the, ver- the very first episode, um, The Manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a story about, uh, you know, a like uh, this, he's 12 years old, this boy, when his parents are deported and he's kind of a spelling bee, you know, aspiring spelling bee <clears throat> champ. And what he ends up doing 
is going to this national spelling bee and getting um, an audience, actually, as all these the children who who um, participate in the spelling bee do with Laura Bush, right? Because this is taking place in the, mm-hmm. the like mid like two thousand five ish or whatever, and um, and you know he reads her this uh, this very this plaintive letter because n- nothing he's doing to try to get his parents' help um, is working at, or anything, and. You know, Laura Bush is ineffectual. She's like, write a letter to my office and nothing happens. So it's not like it presents her as as any kind of savior or anything. Um, but, you know, because of my own, like, leftist convictions, um, you know, what I want uh, our show, like, in any narrative that's even going to touch on the Bushes, I, I don't want any rehabilitation of the bushes i don't want any like gentle portrayals of the bushes but you know his like teacher at school is like tell her i'm such a big fan of hers and it's like you know like no we nobody should be a big mm-hmm. fan of the bushes like with their war criminals <laughs> everyone like i don't want ellen degeneres talking about like hobnobbing with him and being nice to him like like I don't- de- decency is not you know niceness to them decency is is calling them out at every opportunity, et cetera. So, like, I, you know, but at the same time, I understand that, like, the show, it's going to alienate people if it's some, like... Uh, I don't think that's what's happening, Carolyn, in that episode, though. I So, I think that, like, that's what actually happened, and they're in this no, small sure. town that yeah. would like, that would think that that, that like, that teacher would like Bush, and also that kid doesn't know any better right. and thinks that that is his way out. So, like, I don't think it necessarily portrays them well. I think it actually shows that, like, they don't give a fuck and aren't going to do anything because <sighs> of the way that episode ended. Like, she didn't actually help him. No. And it was really awkward to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I, I, I did appreciate, you know, I will say some things. Like, I did appreciate that that, sh- that, that episode, I liked that episode uh, on the whole. Like, I, and I liked that... Um, you know, I like that it does things like there's a kind of wild party at the motel and mm-hmm. and the main character, like, you know, he just sort of wakes up in the in the uh, this room alone the next morning. And and, you know, and, and maybe you think if it's a conventional narrative, it's going to be like, oh, his life is going to really go off the rails. It's going to go to a dark place uh, or he's going to have some confrontation with law enforcement himself or whatever. But it's not that at all. It's just like he's struggling a bit. He's having a bit of a rough time, but it's not like it's not like it's this entry point to some like deep dark like crisis of despair in his life or anything like that you know i i I, like I, I did, I did like the episode. I, I just, um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I think it's interesting that you're pointing out that episode for this specifically because one of my issues with this series is that almost every episode has a, a at least relatively happy ending or leaving you feeling mm-hmm. like at least optimistic, except for that episode. And that's why I like that one the best in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like the end of that episode is as bleak as the fucking episode in in the reality of like. You know, he gets his, well, I don't, do we want to spoil this? I don't know. But, like, the the episode does not feel good. The end of the episode doesn't feel good like every other one. And I think that in some ways, so, the um, Carolyn, you started talking about uh, the Muslim ban and that the realities imposed on the production of this show. I actually read the article that was linked from Wikipedia. That's where they got that information from. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, Stephen Dunn is the director of that particular episode. We're going back to the one about the the queer Syrian man. Um, and he talks about how he didn't want to make 
the show he didn't want to make that episode feel like oh it's like the most horrible thing ever to be queer in the Middle East but that it's a perfect haven in America by any means and I think that he failed because one of the examples he said he used as um, one of the examples he used was that he to, to to show that was that at the door when he's trying to get into the club, the, the bouncer doesn't understand what um, immigration papers are. He wouldn't give him the time of day. So like, you know, it, that was a that was like a racist intersection at the gay club mm. that this guy is having to deal with. Now, mm. I don't think necessarily like I, I think the reality is that if you are coming from the situation where he has been closeted and literally hurt, hurt like physically abused, uh, disconnected and and um kicked out of his family like stuck in a in a country he doesn't know anyone in all because he 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 didn't mean to come out but he did so because he's gay like going to that club is going to be fucking amazing <laughs> right like mm-hmm. that is going to be a really incredible experience but i do think that like in these short vignettes i didn't like that most of them made you feel like it's going to be okay or Go ahead. Go ahead, Ebony. Oh, and I say, sorry, sorry. I know, Ebony, you haven't talked. I enjoyed a lot of this series. Like, I really, I liked a lot of these stories and enjoy, and I'm glad the series existed. Um, so I just, be critical of the media you love kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, mean. I, think I, I didn't want to make it seem like I'm talking shit on the whole thing. No, no. I think, you know, you both of y'all are, are bringing up really interesting points um, and angles that I hadn't really considered in quite that way as I was um, watching the show. Um, I will say that the show, uh, like we said, it's an anthology series. So none of the episodes are connected to each other other than, you know, through this kind of overarching, you know, notion of America as an idea. None of the episodes to my mind anyway, really wrestle with like kind of, you know, the gritty, ugly, awesome, fucked up, complex, layered reality of, you know, America as it exists, mm-hmm. um, or even really Americans, you know, for whatever that means. But it really is about this idea of America that is globally pervasive, um, that draws people in, right? But other than that, none of the stories connect. And they really do betray um, their beginnings as as magazine profiles you know and this shit this like american dream shit that is so common um americans uh, definitely they're they're certainly um um drink the kool-aid on that mentality right like there's definitely some of these stories that are like you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you work hard enough and you'll make it but that like you know like for example, I'm a child of immigrants that came to America for a better life, right? Like mm-hmm. it was, there's this sense in the world that you come to America to provide for your family. And that reality, like I was in Cape Town in December and I had one of my cab drivers say that he was going to move to America to make money. And I was like, cool, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. You just go to America and make money. And I was like, cool, dude. Like that, this idea is still so deeply pervasive internationally in a lot of, in a lot of places that it's, it's mind boggling to me. Yeah, but I mean, the reality is that for a lot of folks, because of the way that the U.S. and other Western nations have intentionally depressed the economies of other what we call developing nations or third world, like people can come here and work and send money back. Um, And so sometimes like the specifics of it are immaterial, you know, or at least at the at the level that that some folks are doing. But but going back to like the idea of this being an anthology series. 
from the very beginning, like, I think it's interesting that the show starts with the manager. Um, and again, the show is called Little American. It kind of sets you up, yeah, to think like, oh, we're going to get these kind of like slice of life, you know, homey, vaguely soft focus um, uh, stories of these, you know, particular people. And each episode ends with um, photographic um, like a, a short like slideshow of the actual person that the episode is based on. And so even if the episode itself doesn't end with something particularly like uplifting or nice, we get to see that, oh, you know, this person did succeed or they did fall in love and get married or, or whatever. Um, but for, for what it was, it just, it felt like, maybe it's because of where I am personally right now, week eight, of, you know, sheltering at home um, and only able to consume things in bite-sized pieces. But I, I, I did like the way that it allowed me to kind of dip my toe in these very specific stories, but it didn't attempt to be a, a dissertation about each one of these cultures because I think it would have, it would have ill-served, you know, these people. Like we aren't, we aren't going to get, you know, everything um, that happened to this little kid who was forced to take over his family's business at age 12. We're not going to see like all of the shitty interactions that Iwabune, you know, had to deal with in fucking 1981 Norman, Oklahoma. You're only going to get like, I don't know, like tapas in a way. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> of food again. Um, but one thing that I, I, I did find interesting across all of the episodes is um, the ways in which different immigrant groups we don't really see too many immigrant groups um, interacting or orbiting in the same place. And the the manager, the very first episode, like this this kid is running this um, this motel, and like the people who work for him, there's an older white dude, and there's um, a young white woman who's a cleaner. And it I was kind of pulled out seeing those people because I was like. No, those, those people, like you would actually have Latin people doing those jobs. Like those are the people that do those jobs. But it was almost as if there could only be kind of one source of othering sometimes in these episodes. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, I guess. Yeah, and so like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted about this show. I, but I, I mean, overall, I, like I did like it. But, uh, you know, an example of the way in which I'm conflicted is so th- at the end of episode, the second episode, which is called The Jaguar, which is a... Uh, a story about a, a like a young high school student who's the daughter of um, are they are they Mexican? I I, I mean I, I don't know. If, um, I, but, I don't know that we ever right. have that articulated. Right, clearly. right. Um, but no, she ain't Cuban. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, so the, but this young um, but they're undocumented. Yeah, yeah, they're un- undocumented, and you know, her mom like cleans rich people's houses to just kind of pull in money and stuff. And she, this, but this high school student, like she finds this kind of um, outlet and, and place in which she can succeed in competitive squash. And, uh, you know, but one of the big, like one of the obstacles throughout the, the uh, episode is people talking about like, Oh, and then maybe you can, and then you can go to like these, you know, if you succeed, you can go to these tournaments, you can go to like tournaments elsewhere in the world. And she's like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't get a passport. Um, but and then there's this there's this flash forward um, at the very end of the episode um, where you know we, we we see some of the ways in which 
she goes on to to be very you know successful and and like that flash forward like it made me tear up like I, it was very because mm-hmm. I'm because I'm very susceptible to like pulling pulling on the heartstrings you know media that like wants you to wants to just make you cry and stuff and and this worked for me but at the but at the same time I there is that way in which I'm like well okay but like like what is the the message it's sending almost is you know and again maybe this is just me like kind of misreading it or or coming away with my own take on it but like like the message it's sending is hey you know like be just great in school or great in this in an athletic field or whatever and you too can like succeed even you know in america even if you're undocumented as opposed to like like we should be out, outraged at these systems that that like limit people and dehumanize and like prevent them from like having these kinds of opportunities and like what about everyone like who isn't going to be like an olympic squash competitor or whatever <laughs> like i mean what do they do you know yeah uh, i think it you know in some way like and and you see it you see at the end of that episode that like the family gets to immigrate legally um and gets like citizenship right because you see that photo yes. of them at the, whatever and like i don't know who's gonna watch for this show right it's probably you know is it people who are already like on board and care about immigrant rights and all of that stuff because like to me mm-hmm. that was a very compelling story it was like yeah. these stories are Abs- very well done oh, right like they're these are very like high high production value story like they're they're very well done and i enjoyed the the I enjoyed them a lot, but that I, I'm troubled by that because mm-hmm. it's what I was trying to say earlier of like, there is a lot of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. And if you just work hard, Carolyn, like you were saying, mm-hmm. like you can make it. And I'm like, that's not the majority of people. That's right. not the majority. And so like, you're pulling out the stories that are um, the margin of error because that's what makes them compelling, interesting, exciting stories. But it just, I, to, in some ways, it creates more harm by perpetuating that, like, this is possible when it's really not actually statistically that possible. But at the same time, like, we can't just tell stories about how fucking awful everything is, right? Like, there, right, there's a right, tension no, exactly. here. And I think that this, yeah. I think that this series relies a little too much on the happy endings. Yeah, right. I mean, again, I, I am, I, I am torn because, as I said earlier, like, I, we, we, I don't want every story of immigrant life in the United States to be to be defined by, you know, oppression and hardship to the extreme. Like I want them to have space to be human and to have and to have experience of the full spectrum of human life and, and like all of that. Uh, but I, I just I feel like this series kind of glosses over some things. But it is extremely well done. I mean one thing like you know, even in that just half hour of storytelling time that that squash episode gets for instance like it's very effective at you know setting up her big opponent um in the local you know tournament um as kind of the ivan drago of squash like this one you know (laughs) because we see her doing that that thing where she's like banging the ball against like the right wall and the left wall and the right wall and the left wall and so she's like this this like terminator of of squash you know and you kind of get that sense of like whoa like she's going up against like this like what a fearsome opponent it's so it is very it is very well done um in terms of telling these stories in in a very limited amount of of time yeah, I guess for me, because we were getting these um, these short, you know, 
glimpses, these short, you know, um, like quick thumbnails of a person's life. I was fine with them being Mm. largely positive, you know, ending on, you know, a high note or at least a hopeful note for all of them. Um, If we were getting longer, deeper dives into these people's stories, then yes, I would have thought they would have been ill-served by that kind of treatment. But because the show is what it is, um, I I was largely fine with that. And I do think that although there's like, you do get the sense of like, oh, these, these are singular people. But to me, what I came away from it thinking is not that like you, if if you don't do, um, you know, wake up at 3.30 in the morning and go hit the squash, you know, courts, or if you don't, you know, um, you know, take up, <laughs> take up the reins as the concierge at your family's motel at 12, there's no way that you can succeed and you don't really deserve to succeed. That wasn't what I took from it. What I took from it was there are all of these singular stories and all of these singular people out there. And we just don't know about them. Like we haven't Mm -hmm. spent nearly enough time getting to know the people that are in our community and make up our communities. And that, you know, there are all of these hidden facets of brilliance out there. There's more of these. Um, And so for me, like I, I, and again, it's just, you know, my, my personal reaction to it, it was like, Oh, and as cheesy as it sounds like that everyone has a, a way in which they're like the Batman of their story, you know, like the, the something that they're great at, you know, um, some wonderful memory from their childhood or relationship with their parents that causes them to do X, Y, and Z or whatever. Like that was kind of what I took from it, which is why, and I want to talk about if y'all thought the same thing, I was kind of pulled up by episode four, the silence, mm. Because to me, it seemed so tonally different, so and thematically different. different I was from the like, rest what of them the that fuck I was like, this seems like because I, yeah, I was like, I, I wonder if, <laughs> because I know that there's going to be a season two. If it had come in season two, I think it would have made more sense to me. But coming where it does, I was like, this I'm just is like, weird. did they have to talk about a white person? Like, was it just like, we can't not have a white person because immigration is not just people of color? Like, that's what that episode felt like to me. Yeah, and it, not it, that it was a bad episode. No, it, just, I, it was, I was one like, of my favorites. Like, I really liked it. But I was like, wow, this is weird, Come, especially coming from the cowboy, you know? And like, why was that chosen in this group? I don't. Yeah, I agree. I felt like it was really weird, even though, again, it was quite good. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I, I it's certainly there's no question that it stands out like it, it is. But I guess to me, it, it felt like the to me, it felt like, well, let the bit of comic relief in a in an I mean, not that the series doesn't have lighthearted elements and even more lighthearted stories. But I don't know. It just felt like like a story that was almost entirely um you know, meant to be uh, like a little bit of a, of a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a romance. It's, it's got the kind of, I mean, not that, not that meditation, silent meditation is inherently silly. It's not. And and I think it can be very valuable, but, but just the way it's framed in this story, I think there's, you know, is, is um, as something, uh, it it offers opportunities for amusement. Um, I don't know. And, and most of our viewers probably haven't watched the show. So just for context, the yeah. silence is the episode is an episode where there is a white woman at a silent retreat. Right, right. And like the whole, almost the entire episode is silent, um, which is, it was beautifully done given mm-hmm. that you couldn't literally couldn't talk <laughs> the right. whole time. Um, yeah. But that's, she's like trying to deal with being there and she, she develops a love interest while she's there. Yeah. 
Um, no, but yes, obviously, and there is certainly that that aspect. I don't think you're at all wrong. Of like, well, we need to we need to cover our bait. We need to, yeah, do the oh, white people. Can, of course, some some immigrants are white or whatever. <laughs> like even well, though get- even though again, like everything under Trump. And the you know the Muslim ban and everything has emphasized as if it ever was not clear that like th- there's there's one sort of standard almost of or of experiences for uh, or treatment for like um, people immigrants from like European countries who are white um, and that versus um, you know pe- other other people who come here from elsewhere and who are, who are not white. Um, yes. Yeah. I just I found this one so interesting because, you know, as you say, it's it's almost completely silent until the very end because this woman is in a um attending a, a silent retreat. <clears throat> and so even though you you know um throughout that okay, this woman is is probably an immigrant or she is she is foreign born, you know, she's not American, native born American. We don't know for sure who she is and where she comes from until like the last couple of minutes, right? And then there's that great speech she gives, which, you know, (laughs) Jack, her love interest, does not understand. She's like, you know, uh, I have trouble with, you know, talking to people. And so I thought I would come to America by myself and it's been lonely and I wanted to see these things, but all I've seen is McDonald's and there's so many fucking McDonald's. (laughs) It's this great (laughs) speech, right? But because you only get it at the end, you're like, okay what question is this answering what point is this making like how does this thematically fit in until we know for sure this woman is not from america and this is her experience and like once we do learn that what is it saying you know so i found myself like kind of appreciating the fact that the episode wasn't hitting me over the head with certain things um but i also was like i don't know maybe i'm just not getting it is the is the point or one of the points like the kind of weird appropriative you know consumer culture of america because that's certainly there with this like you know meditation retreat with these vaguely sort of like orientalist markers and zachary quinto is the <laughs> guru with his his tunic that's got a price tag on it and you know primarily uh you know white folks um attending which clearly you have to be at least pretty privileged to attend this 10 day retreat, right? Like, is that what's going on here? Um, is it about like American consumer culture? Uh, but yeah, I just felt like as the sole kind of representative of white immigration, except for um, that Scottish dude and the, I think, you know, Eastern European woman and the cowboy. Um, I don't know. It just, it felt like a, I wasn't quite sure. I was pulled up as I say. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The cowboy did, and did, the son did, were my favorite ones. Of, did y'all watch these. The Baker? Mm-hmm. So I have a question about, did you watch it, Carol? I did not watch that one. Okay. Well, so just real quick, um, I, just a question around. So the story is about a woman who comes from Uganda. Um, she gets married and then divorced and she has a child. She's living on her friend's couch for like eight months. She wears um, an amazing dress when she goes to the disco. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she does. Um and so the whole thing is that, like, she was sent by her family. Like, she, it's not, it is, it is insinuated that she didn't particularly want to go to America, but she's the oldest child. She was sent to America to, like, make it for the family, to be the one that makes it kind of thing. Um, and she's, like, you know, working as a waiter, as a server. Um, and her mom's just, like, giving her shit. So 
she starts to bake. She's a great baker. Her father was a baker. She starts to bake cookies. And like, so the story is the hustle, right? It's another bootstrap one. And like, you kind of admire the fact that this woman is like, I'm going to sell cookies on the street. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. make this shit happen. Um, and I, I just wanted to bring it up because I wasn't, I felt a little uncomfortable or like couldn't quite parse through how much of this experience was like, you know, her her American friends were like, you basically use your culture to sell your shit. Like, put mm-hmm. a basket on your head because that's how Ugandan women, like, they all can walk around with baskets on their heads and, like, wear your Ugandan outfits and, like, you know, the, the beautiful um, pattern dresses and stuff. And so, like, it it felt... I didn't know how to interpret that in terms of, like, she had to be this, this like, sideshow mm-hmm. in order to make it, right? She had, to, like, she couldn't just be, like, I've been in America for a long time and get to, like, do whatever I want, but I have to embody this. So I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but I basically was, like, did she really want to do that? Was that part of, like, her own personal cultural expression, or was she doing it because she knew it would sell her African magic cookies, quote-unquote? Well, I think, like, there's this great article. I think it was in the New York Times. I will find the link and share it, but it's all about how um, brown cooks in this country, if you want to make it as a brown cook, you have to make some version of what white culture assumes your native culture to be. So if you are, you know, Indian or Pakistani and you want to own a restaurant, we only want you to make Indian or Pakistani food. Or if you're a Latinx, we want you to make food that we recognize as, you know, um, uh, like Mexican food or Cuban food or whatever, right? But if you are white and you want to make, um, you know, Indian food or Japanese food, or you want to, you know, be Rick Bayless and, you know, have a Mexican food like empire, that's that's perfectly fine. To me, it kind of spoke to that. Um, and it's even though- the large... Even though she's making chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But I mean, like, this is what we demand. We demand a certain amount at the same time that we penalize people for a certain amount of, like, cultural performativity, you know, in ways that are are palatable to us. And so that's what it spoke to to me. In addition to, like, the hustle that you're talking about, like, there is a way in which if you are um, an immigrant in this country, like, yeah, you know that hustle intimately. Like, you know about the getting up at 3.30 in the morning and taking the bus somewhere and working a couple of Like, th- th- those are the only options available to you because th- there's there's simply no other avenue available for you to even just make it. Not succeed, but just, like, put food on the table, live in some dude's um, garage, whatever. Which, speaking of that, that reminds me, I was wrong about not showing, like, different groups of color, immigrant groups interacting. Because in the Jaguar, the second episode, we do have... Um, uh, the Rosado family living in the garage of that dude who is also foreign born person of color. Mm, and we feel like he's a shithead, right. you know? Oh my so God, I take it brutal. back. I was wrong. Yeah. You heard it here first folks. Don't hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> um, were there any other episodes y'all wanted to call out specifically? I I just, I really loved the cowboy and I loved the son. Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, any episode that's got a um, gay dance club scene, um, mm. <laughs> like I'm gonna love it. I don't care if it, you I, could. It, it's maybe manipulative, whatever. But you put on those disco lights and you have someone in a fierce white wig telling me to love and accept myself. Ciao, come on, <laughs> I'm all about it. I love that episode. I was I was a little bit like it's an interesting choice to put that at the very end because it's definitely a it's a really strong one. And so it felt like yeah, we want to go out with a bang, but also like wh- what if people don't make it that far? <laughs> you know. Folks, the uh, the show is free right now. Normally, you got to pay for Apple TV Plus, but they're making it free for people to watch right now. <laughs> they're thirty minute episodes. There's eight of them. Dip in and out. Yeah, 
And they are, they are standalone. Yeah. I do want to also call out that um, they were very conscious, uh, the creators were very mindful of um, getting specific directors and writers mm-hmm. on the show. Like, they're, the most famous person on the whole show is Zachary Quinto, who is, like, in in the silence mm-hmm. um and is not a main character or that like Im- important although he's great in it yeah and he has <laughs> maybe so what, like two lines yeah <laughs> yeah it's great but like you know they're not this show is not to meant to be flashy either right there's not like mm-hmm. you have all these celebrities playing all of these people right um and getting folks from from culture, like people who understand these cultures to direct them and to write them and finding people from different, like, you know, they, they got playwrights, not traditional TV writers for some yeah. of these episodes as well. Yeah. Um, just real quick, Anita and I got to speak to um, Emily V. Gordon, who's the co-creator, one of the executive producers of the show. Um, many of y'all know her from uh, The Big Sick, from writing The Big Sick. Uh, with her husband, Kamel Nanjiani. And um, we had a really great conversation with her. And she talked about the ways that the executive producers, you know, were deliberate um, and careful about, A, looking for new talent here, but yeah, also, you know, having like cultural consultants on the show um, and bringing people into the writer's room and giving them charge of these sets um, so that what we get is not just the standard, like, um, you know, uh, white view of of immigration or, you know, non-white identity. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see where the show goes in the um, in the second season and, and who they bring aboard. But but also what stories, because there's so many more of just these amazing stories like, oh. Give me an immigrant family sitting around a table eating food, and I'm going to tune in for 10 hours. So, yeah, <laughs> totally. give me more. I will say, too, that if you are in um, in that space that I think, you know, we go in and out of where you're like, I got nothing to watch, or I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to connect to, or everything feels whatever. Like, these are short episodes, and they're standalone, so they're mm-hmm. really easy to pop into. I know we just said yeah. that, but I've just, like, I've gone in and out of, like, like ah, oh, should should I watch something? What should I watch? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like getting invested in a big thing, and so this actually like really hit the spot for me in terms of like really high quality little pieces yeah. that weren't a giant commitment. So, all right, are we are we feeling good about this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, <laughs> that was my not so subtle way of being like anything else. <laughs> I have stuff, but I'll talk about it in the bonus. Okay, cool. Teaser taster. Yeah. You you know we have a bonus right for Patreon patrons 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 on the Patreon. If y'all Sell didn't it. know, we do. You should go check that out to get in on the bonus action. All mm. right, we're gonna cut me off now before I keep going and talking like this. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, y'all. Remember at the top of the episode, I talked about Feminist Frequency's birthday party happening on May 21st from 5 p.m. to midnight Pacific time. Yep. Just reminding you to mark your calendars and join us at twitch.tv slash femfreak. Now, I don't want to spoil any of the surprises, but seriously, it's going to be a treat with all kinds of fun surprises and giveaways and guests. It's going to be 
So good. Did I mention it's going to be good? It's going to be good. It also just happens to be, coincidentally, definitely not planned, (laughs) the last day of the State in the Game Relief Fund. That's where four nonprofits who serve the video game industry are asking you to help us stay in the game. We're close to our goal, but we need your help to get to the finish line. You can learn more at givebutter.com slash stay in the game. Got it? Big party, big fundraiser. See y'all there. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Carolyn, you want to get us started? Sure. I think appropriate, perhaps, for our conversation about sort of, um, you know, cultures uh, that exist within America. Um, I'm freaking out this week about a series on Netflix called Unorthodox. Um, this is a series that is uh, loosely based on um, on a memoir uh, written in 2012 by a, a woman named Deborah Feldman, and it's a it's a story about a, a young woman um, in the show. Uh, her name is Esther Shapiro, or Esty, to you know her her friends, Esty, um, who um, makes a who an escape really from um, her marriage and her life in um, in a Hasidic you know Jewish community in Brooklyn, and um, she kind of flees to Berlin. And the show is just it's so fascinating. First of all, um, it, it, it's uh, Shira Haas who plays Esther is just amazing in this in this role. Truly, a, a truly amazing performance. Um, but the show is um, it's so I think insightful about um for one about like um female sexuality not that like there's monolithic like one experience of female sexuality but um but the ways in which esther herself um struggles in her marriage um in the in the hasidic um community in brooklyn um and the way that it's so that her struggles with sex having sex with her husband and everything are so tied up in the ways in which um sex has been kind of uh, talked about or not talked about her whole life or the ways in which um, like her husband doesn't know how to be affectionate or how to think of sex really as anything other than this kind of obligatory act that they must do in order to, you know, create babies and so on. Um, Like there's so much great stuff around sex um in this in this uh series and also like um how it handles the the hasidic um culture that esther flees from you know because she obviously has her reasons for wanting to escape and she does feel very trapped and very oppressed in that culture and yet when she she flees to berlin and she meets like other younger people young people around her age who kind of talk about um her life back home or or as like being, you know, they'll say like, oh, you know, they all, they, they all just saw her as like a baby making machine or whatever. And and then Esther gets angry because, you know, these are outsiders who don't really understand who are sort of simplifying and painting the Hasidic culture she came from in, with this very broad and simple, simplistic brush of like oppressive, bad culture. And, you know, and that's not accurate either to Esther's experience and it and it understandably upsets her. And so I, I think it's it it honors like the complexity of 
um, the character's experience. Um, obviously, I'm no expert at all on Hasidic culture, but I, I, I suspect that it, it the show goes to great lengths to be very accurate in a lot of its uh, detail, in a lot of its portrayals. Um, and... Um, um, and again, just like the psychological and emotional kind of insight into its characters that the show offers is really fantastic. So in, in it's only four episodes, an hour roughly each, and there's not going to be, um, it's a limited series, like that's it. So, so you know, kind of like Anita was saying about... Um, about Little America, like if you're looking for something manageable to watch right now, like it's good for that as well. Like you, you can know, go in knowing that it's just that four episode experience and and that's it. But it really is, um, I think, a a, a fantastic um, show. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, Ebony, what are you freaking out about? Uh, my freak out's pretty small. So I really enjoyed the music um, that we saw in Little America in episode, the manager episode, the Hindi and Punjabi m- music. Um, so I wound up looking up some of it and I've just been really enjoying um, some of the Punjabi um, discoveries that I've made through there. But it reminded me that I have been checking out these movies that I saw on this BuzzFeed list. Yes, I said BuzzFeed. Um, 30 Bollywood films that everyone absolutely must see. Let me stop right here to say, I know the difference between Hindi and Punjabi. Okay, like, I get it. But it reminded <laughs> me, is what I'm saying, because there is some Hindi Punjabi fusion stuff happening in Bollywood that I was interested in. So anyways, I'm going to share the link. Um, but one thing I love about this list, like, I don't have the mental capability of deciding for myself what I'm going to watch these days. So I liked having a list <laughs> made for me. Um, but also, like... We didn't get to talk about the music that is threaded throughout um, Little America, um, but I particularly loved, like I said, the music that was in um, The Manager, including Boot Scoot and Boogie, a classic from Brooks and Dunn, Country 1990. So anyways, that's my that's my free up for the week, and I'll share the link. Definitely. Give me, give me that link. I actually, yeah. it's so weird. Cause I was like, I kind of want to watch more Bollywood. I used to watch a bunch of them. Like there was a couple that were like these like go-tos that I loved um, years ago, but I don't know what Bollywood is like these days. And um, well, yeah, see, I'm let's... totally new to it. So like I'm going with the classics, you know, um, that are, you know, listed on this list, but a lot of them are available on Netflix. Let's do it. Let's have a Netflix watch party, watch them together. I would love that. Let's yes. do that. Um, I gotta look up the one. There was one that I loved. This is uh, whatever. I'm gonna save this for the bonus. I don't need to ramble on about the one movie that I can never stop remembering because it was so beautiful. Okay, my freak out is not that. Um, I am freaking out because so I just had Hulu open and then it gives you all these recommendations and I usually ignore all of them. But then I saw that there's a Parks and Recreation reunion special and I was like, what the fuck? I'm a big Parks and Rec fan. I loved that show. Um, And I just happened to put it on kind of in the background. And then I was like, this shit is the best. Okay, y'all. They did a 30-minute special where they each like – they were all in character and they all called each other on video chat separately, like a, uh, like a call tree. And it was delightful. Like I just, it was so, so, so delightful. And just like being back in that world with those characters and like even some of the smaller characters that, um, you know, are, are secondary in the show. Uh, it, so it's really sweet and it's available for free, um, on YouTube. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, and I think it, NBC, 
put it up on their website for free. So like it's just a little it's a little nice treat for those of y'all who were Parks and Rec fans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ebony and Carolyn. Yo. Did you know that we can that 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 our listeners can submit their own freakouts? Did you know this? What? I think I've I heard know. something to this effect. I know. I would love to know what y'all are freaking out about right now. And so please share that with us. You can do that at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thanks so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Stay tuned for the freaking after party, which is only available to backers of this podcast. Hint, hint. You can learn more at <laughs> patreon.com slash femfreak. You can find us everywhere great podcasts are found. And if you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and all the social medias at femfreak. This show is engineered by Rob Para. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Join us next week for another feminist dive into pop culture. Bye. Later. Bye.